is it better to be a jock or a nerd? Michael Jordan, having retired with $40 million in endorsements, he makes $178,100 a day. If he sleeps seven hours, he makes $52,000 every night. If he goes to see a movie cost him seven bucks, he makes $18,550 while he's there. If he decides to have a five-minute egg, he'll make $618 while he's boiling it. He makes $7,415 an hour more than minimum wage. If he wanted to save up for a new Acura, $90,000, it'd take him a whole 12 hours. I mean, you can't even go down and buy the crazy thing and get back at all the paperwork done in that kind of time, you know? And we're talking about money coming in so fast you can't even spend the stuff. I mean, it gets to the point where you actually have to just hoard it away or waste it. You can't do anything else with it. He probably will pay around $200 for a nice round of golf and be reimbursed $33,000 while he's there. He'll make about $19.60 watching a 100-meter dash in the Olympics, about 15600 during a Boston Marathon. This year, he'll make more than twice as much as all U.S. past presidents for all of their terms combined. Okay? Amazing, isn't it? However, if Michael Jordan saves 100% of his income for the next 500 years, he'll still have less than Bill Gates has at this very moment. Game over, nerd wins. <laughs> not quite, not quite. If Bill Gates saves all of his money for 500 years, he wouldn't have enough to rent a room for one day next to me in my father's house. Amen. It ain't down here. When you're making that kind of money, you know, what's the point in it? What are you going to do with it? You know what that guy found out? He found out how hollow and shallow it was to have money. You know how you know that? Because he went out and tried to play baseball, trying to do this, trying to do that. What for? Because the answer ain't making money, and it ain't fame, and it ain't success where everybody else thinks it is. Well, what, are you kind of bored, Michael? Yeah. With all you got, are you bored? Yeah. How is that possible? All that glitters in gold, <laughs> you know? Answer is not money. You know, it's just not. Unfortunately, if it was, then everybody would be playing the lottery, you know. <laughs> anyway, moving along here. The glory of God. We'll get back into this. Psalms chapter 50. Psalms fifty fifteen. once again. And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. And then verse 23. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me, and to him that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. Now, that's where the Lord started opening my understanding, like I said, over and over and over. And we were looking at a little bit of this stuff before last week. So two weeks ago, we started looking at some of this. And it has to do with praise is to magnify, extol in words or song. Simply put, it's just bragging on your creator. That's what it is. And the more you care about him, the more your affections are toward him, the more you enjoy doing that. You know why people have a hard time witnessing? You know why it's an effort, why it's a job? It's because your affections aren't where they ought to be. If you really appreciated your father and your brother, Jesus Christ, and what he did for you, it wouldn't be an effort at all. You wouldn't be able to keep your mouth shut. 
You know why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The reason we have a hard time and get tight-lipped and get ashamed when God says witness to somebody is because he's not down there in our heart. What's down there in our heart are the things that are bothering us, the problems we got in life. And I got to hurry up and get this done. Well, I got to get back to the house. Well, I got to do this. Well, I got to do that. Oh, what will they think? The fear of man bringeth the snare. That's what's in your heart. You're worried about what they think about you. Why? Because you're so worried about yourself. We are all so self-serving. We're just like little bitty kids. Everything in the whole world is all about us. And if it's not about us, it don't matter. You ever notice that about kids? Well, what do they care about the president? What do they care about Congress? What do they care about taxes? It ain't about them. They wouldn't lose three seconds of sleep over any of that stuff. Doesn't matter. That's the problem. Anyway, this business of praising God is from a perspective of a participator. An observer is just a lost man. I mean, he just looks on the outside and, man, what's going on in there, you know? Them guys are crazy, boy. <laughs> they lost their mind. You got religion, boy. He went nuts. <laughs> That's kind of how they think about it. Anyway, we looked at a little bit of this stuff and tried to give you a perspective of how you can praise God and be a participator. There are so many levels of this. I'm just going to try to give it to you so you understand it in relationship to sports or something like that. And I hate being an observer. Like I said a couple weeks ago, you know, if I can't race the motorcycle, I can only watch for just two or three minutes. And unless that guy's doing something absolutely insane or I'm just waiting for the fool to kill himself. And some of these guys do stuff that just absolutely, man, get them out of the gene pool. I think there's something twisted in their heads. They start doing stuff that's just insane. I mean, literally insane. It's one moron. They go out in this big old bridge, like three-mile bridge. It's about like that new I-10 bridge going across the bay. They build this jump out of wood. You can't be out there doing that kind of stuff on the bridge. So what they do is they load the thing on a truck. They set it all up. One guy goes running out there with his truck. They take this thing. They set it right off on the edge. So here's this ramp that goes into a jump off the side of the bridge. Right behind him is Moron with his buddies. He's on a skateboard with a rope behind a truck. They're pulling him down the freeway. He hits that ramp and goes flailing up into the air. Well, I don't know what he thought was going to happen. They show him in the boat after they pick him up. He's like, <laughs> just like that. What for? What was the purpose? Anyway... You can be a participator in this thing at many, many levels. But as a Christian, you can be a participator in that you just hate Satan. Now, very few people get that way, but some of them do. Some of them, Satan has done so much stuff in their own personal life with people they care about and people they love that they just get to the point where they despise him for what he did to them. I remember one woman hated every bar in town because her husband was an alcoholic. And she'd go by the bars and stuff and throw stuff at the cars. Like you're going to solve a problem there. She just wanted to get some revenge on somebody. Anyway, you can also have a financial investment in something. For example, like I said before, I'd bet on the World Series. I didn't care who won as long as I made money. Why should I care as long as I won something? You can also be a fan. You like something to identify with. You know, you just like to feel better about yourself. That's most people. 
The reason they like certain things is because they identify with it, kind of like parents identifying their childhood with their kids and reliving it and stuff. They kind of live vicariously and you guys won, but I feel like I won. (laughs) I like that feeling. So what do you do? I'll paint my face blue and white and go to every event. Man, I'll buy box seats. I'll pay a fortune for that feeling. That's all they're getting out of it. But they can identify with it. You know, there's people like that in the church. They call them holy rollers, <laughs> charismatics. It's all about getting a feeling. Anyway, you can be part of it. You can identify with it even closer. You can be part of it. It could be a matter that that team's from your state. Even more important, it could be that you went to school there. I mean, if you went to school at Tate, unless you hated the place, you'd like to see them win a game. You'd like to see them get to championships. You'd like to see people that graduate there go off and become professional sports people, you know, make a ton of money. That's kind of neat. You know, somebody close to home. You can also get a little bit further into that thing by being a team owner. You get to where you're a team owner, now you got a financial investment, you got emotional investment because you obviously cared about the team and that kind of a sporter, you wouldn't pay that kind of money for something just to go watch them guys kick a ball around the field, you know, and get dirty and have to spend millions of dollars just to pay your guys to go do it and hope there was enough money coming in to keep them paid. But you could be a team owner. You get a little bit closer if you're a relative of one of those players. And when you're a relative of one of those players, it gets really close in there. You go to that game, you not only want to see them win, you want to see that one right there do something really great and have a great game. And that's when it gets really exciting. But you know what God wants? <laughs> God wants all of the above. You've got a vested interest in this thing, and so does he. You're bought with a price. You're supposed to be able to root and cheer for him and praise him like you're emotionally involved as an owner, as you're a member of the family, as you've got an investment in this thing, as you've got something to identify with. That's the way it's supposed to be. You want to know something else that they don't have in sports? You got a future and they don't. <laughs> I mean, I remember the Dodgers. I used to go out to Chavez Ravine there in Los Angeles and see the Dodgers. And I don't know if they were someplace else before they ended up out there. <laughs> Brooklyn, <laughs> yeah, Brooklyn Dodgers and then the L.A. Dodgers. I don't even know where they're at now. I mean, their future, what's that? Bounce around. <laughs> You're part of this thing. You're relatives. We're supposed to actually treat this thing differently than just as a participator. Now, the question is, if you participate, and we all do some, we wouldn't be here. As a participator, are we active? Are you passionate about God? Are you? Are you passionate about these songs? Are you excited? Are you energetic in offering your praise back to God? Are you? Or are you lukewarm, kind of passive and dutiful? Well, if you're lukewarm, then you are the Laodicean church. And I can speak with just a tiny bit of experience, and I believe Brother Mark will confirm it. You don't have to be there. And God has begun something here. He which hath begun a good work, and you will perform to the day of Jesus Christ. You know when God quits working in your life? You want to know when? It's when. That's a little too much, Lord. I think I'm comfortable where I'm at. Comes to him and says, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He's keep all the commands. I did all that for my youth up. Okay, sell everything, come follow me. Whoa. 
You know, if he'd have gone ahead and come to him and done what he said, you don't know what the Lord would have done with him. You have no idea. So what would you do with him, God? Probably done something that he'd have been able to appreciate no matter what he had. It has to do with us coming to him. That's where it's at. Let me ask you this. Are you content with where you're at? Or would you like to improve your love and understanding and appreciation for God? Matthew 11, 28, 29. I'll give you a little bit of light. See what you do with it. You get back over there where uh, this guy shows up and he says, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, sell everything. Come follow me. Oh, man, that's too much. Could have had it. Could have had it all right there. God brought him right up to the point. Lord told him exactly what to do. And if he'd have done it, his whole life would have been better, ecstatically better, let alone his future. Listen to this. Come unto me. Uh, We kind of pass over that, don't we? We getting on into the meat of that verse. No. If you're going to make any changes in your spiritual condition between you and God, if you're going to become more of an active participator, if you're going to become a little more passionate, a little more excited, and a little bit more appreciative of God, you're going to start right there. Amen. You're going to come Amen. to Him. And then, not only that, you're going to have to respond to some of the things He shows you. Like what? Call upon me in a day of trouble, I'll deliver you, and thou shalt glorify me. You're going to have to get active in doing some of that stuff. That's when it begins to change. It begins to change when you respond to his invitation. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That doesn't describe my past Christian life. Is it yours, Brother Mark? It doesn't describe mine. You say, well, it describes mine. Well, I'm not talking to you then. I don't want it to stay the same. I want it to change. Listen, I can't possibly appreciate God enough, right? Well, then I've got a lot of room for improvement. Why in the world would I stay static and just respond out of duty, lukewarm, passive, after all the stuff that he's beginning to do around here? I mean, he's doing some stuff here. He really is. I'll prove that in a second. Anyway, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If that doesn't describe you, if those aren't your feelings on the inside, you're going to have to go back there to come unto me. Say, what do you mean come unto you? You're going to have to desire the knowledge of the holy. You're going to have to desire to move beyond where you are. And if you don't, God will simply ignore you. He will just leave you there. I had a situation in the church split a while back. It was two preachers. Unfortunately, I ended up right in the middle. And I loved them both. My heart breaks when I think about it still today. And God just slammed me right in the middle of that thing. And I asked one of them a year or two later, I said, you know, I don't understand how this is. How can two men, Paul and Barnabas, 
How can two men profess to love God, profess to go to the same God, that read the same Bible, understand the same things, desire God's blessing upon their ministry, wanting God to perform something and save souls and change lives, and they go to him and pray and beg him for this stuff. How is it that God leaves a guy alone when the guy is actually wrong in what he's doing? And he said, well, I don't know. It just kind of like God just kind of doesn't bother him about that and just leaves it off to the side. I said, well, I don't get that. I'll tell you what it is. If you ignore God, he ignores you. And I don't mean just him totally. I mean about each individual thing in your life. If you want to isolate that one and say, God, you can't have that one, God says, okay. I made the invitation. You want to come to me? You come on. He that cometh to me, I will no wise cast out. Come on. If you don't want to, you want to hang on to that? Okay. If you want to stay just like you are, okay. Just relax where you're at. You want more? You can have more. I mean, I wish somebody had told me this stuff before, although I can't say that it would have had any effect on me. You say, why is that? I don't know. Maybe I did hear stuff like this. Maybe God did show me some of this. But I can tell you this. I never understood it because, man, I put some effort into this business about being saved and trying to serve God. I really have put some effort into it. I believe it's right. I, mean, I believe it's true. I believe in what he did. I know the joy I felt when I first got saved, boy. I know I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I've been different ever since that day. You've been disappointed and discouraged? Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> the Lord is doing something here. And if you want, you can respond to his invitation. You want some more proof that God's doing something here? Last week, I was talking to this guy over that lives in the trailer park. He's Mexican. His mother's Mexican. She's retired. She used to sew wigs together up in New York in some kind of a factory and did that long enough that she retired and they got an income from retirement from that factory. But she's an older lady. She can barely speak English at all still. When Joan got in the hospital, she found out about it. Man, from that moment on, her heart was broken. I didn't tell her. Somebody else told her. Oh, I walk over there, you know, and she'd come out. She said, how's your wife? And she'd start crying. And I'd tell her about what was going on. And I kind of kept her posted. She constantly, every time I see her, first question. This has been a year, almost a year and a half now. How's your wife? And took Joan over there and, you know, we saw her a few times. It don't matter. I still go back. First question, how's your wife? And I could tell that really it was affecting her. I mean, it was touching her in a way that I was not even aware of. And Joan and her, although they'd probably met before, I mean, that was just about all there was to it. I'm talking to this guy about some of the stuff of the glory of God. And he said, you know something? He said, my mother started praying for your wife the first time she heard about that. And he said, her heart was broken. And she went back there in her bedroom and started praying. He said, I have never seen her like that before. She went back there and she got serious with God. She wanted him to do something. And he said, she had never been the same since. You don't think God's doing something here? God is doing something here. You say, what's the difference? I don't know. It's that same thing that causes one guy to get saved and the other guy to reject Christ and go to hell. And it's up to us. Choice is yours. Do something about it. Stay where you're at. Anyway, 
call upon me in the day of trouble and I'll deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me is not a matter of gratitude. It's not a matter of what we get out of it. And I honestly cannot say consciously I ever understood God's answer in any of my prayers in that light. The only thing I was ever able to give him back was a sense of gratitude and appreciation. Sometimes it lasted a long time. I mean, are you really glad you're saved? Yeah. Are you passionate about it? Mm, the edge is kind of off it now. <laughs> you know. Are you still excited that you're saved? Well, once in a while, it kind of gets real again. When you first get saved, it's real to you. You know it's real. That's not a matter of faith. When you get saved and you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, you talk about faith, that's the time you probably ought to try to move a mountain because you know that stuff is real. It's not, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. It's, wow, this is fantastic. All this weight's gone off of me. Man, I feel like a new creature. I feel clean for the first time in my life. I don't fear death. I don't fear God anymore. I need to tell somebody this is great. <laughs> that's how it is when you first get saved. If you didn't have that, I feel sorry for you. You say, do you have to have that? I can't speak for you, man. I can only tell you from my experience. You say, well, you interpreted the word of God on your experience? Nope. I experienced that stuff and then found out later on what the Bible said. I said, look, that's what happened to me. And that's what happened to me. And that's what happened to me. I didn't know any of that stuff first. Anyway, so what is this about? If it's not about gratitude, it's about God becoming more important each time he does something for us. You understand what I just said? It's about him becoming more important to us each time he does something for us. If he'd become more important every time he answered a prayer, beginning with your sinner's prayer, how different would your feelings be for him right now? Something happened between when you got saved and right now. You know that? And it wasn't good. <laughs> What it did was it robbed you of that joy and it robbed you of some of that fellowship. What happened was your attention turned back to yourself. That's what happened. Right at first, it was fantastic and I'm floating. I don't even know where to go from here, but it doesn't matter. God, you got the whole thing. And then somehow your attention gets back down right here on this earth. It gets back down to the things you see, taste, touch, feel, smell, hear, the people you know, the problems you have, the work you need to get done. All of that stuff is where it goes. Your affections are supposed to be set up there. And they were for a short time. And every once in a while, you kind of get a taste of what I'm talking about when one of those songs start to get real. I mean, I love it. I dearly love it when I see somebody start crying over a song. I think my favorite's Jeff. <laughs> He'll start singing the old rugged cross next thing you know him. <laughs> yes, that's when it gets real. But you know, that's not supposed to happen just little tiny bits at a time. It's supposed to be sustained and it's supposed to grow and it's supposed to improve and our love for him is supposed to be getting greater. And it's not because something's messed up here and it's messed up in the Laodicean church. That's what's creating this problem. Well, we're not going to be able to get into much more of this today, but we'll close here. Think about this. If every time God answered your prayer... Your feelings for him were overwhelming. For him, not for what he did. If every time 
a parent did something for the child and that child's feelings for the parent grew every time they did something, how would that affect their relationship? So I don't know, it never happened. It didn't happen to you with your parents and it didn't happen with your kids to you. Why? Because they're kids. What do they lack? Understanding. That's what they lack. If we're going to understand some of this stuff, God's going to have to be the one to show us. If a child is going to understand those things about his parent, the child is going to have to gain understanding from the parent. The invitation is, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's close.